Hello everyone and welcome to Science with Shweta podcast. Our guest today is Sonal Padani who is a radiation therapist and a medical physicist. She currently lives in UK and works as a clinical expert at Electa, a company that develops innovative radiation therapy devices for cancer treatment. She is a very engaged psychomer and a woman in STEM advocate. Let's talk to Sonal to learn more about her science journey. Hi Sonal, thanks for joining us. Hi Shweta, thanks for having me. So Sonal, uh, tell us about yourself. Um, well, personally, I am a mother. Let's start with that. I have my mm-hmm. my professional background is in physics and radiation therapy, as you already mentioned. Um, I have been studying uh, physics for a very long time now, and I did my graduation from uh, University of Toronto in uh, in Canada and my master's in medical physics in, uh, in Ryerson University, again in Canada. And I'm now a PhD candidate at University of Leeds in School of Physics and Astronomy. Um, but currently on my, my work front, I'm working with, um, with a company called Electa, like you mentioned, um, and I'm a clinical specialist. So what I really do is I am an expert on in the product development. So all the new technologies that come out, mm-hmm. I, I give them my support, I give them my expertise, um, regarding how it should function, what should go into this technology and that sort of thing in, in the radiation therapy field. Oh, that's great. So like uh, when did you realize that you wanted to be a radiation therapist? Um, actually, uh, it was an accidental um, discovery. Mm-hmm. I was doing my undergraduate in biology and physics, um, and um, there was a career day where um, people from one of the institutes came um, and talked about radiation therapy, and I decided to jump the gun and uh, change my major in radiation therapy, um, which was a sort of a moment decision because I was so intrigued by um, what the radiation therapy is for and how it's helping um, cancer patients. Now, having had some experiences uh, of cancer in my own personal life, I've had family members who have gone through cancer and the treatment they've had to go through has sort of had a small impact on why I chose radiation therapy at the moment. but, uh, of course, it was a really challenging career, and it seemed to like the right thing to do. Um, and that's how I stumbled upon radiation therapy. So I did finish my radiation therapy degree, and then I went on to practice for about four years mm-hmm. um, in, in radiation therapy department in Princess Margaret Cancer Center in Canada. Oh. Like, see, like, this is really very important. You know, you need to get exposure to different fields to uh, know about them. Uh, Absolutely. I mean, I had no idea that there's something called radiation therapy before these career um, uh, fair happened at our university, unfortunately. So it's very important that people know that there are so many different things they can do. You know, I mean, I like, even before I read about you, I wasn't also aware, like, there is something, a career called, like, a radiation therapist. Of course, we know, like, when you go for a radiation therapy, there will be people who will be uh, treating you. But it's like, assume he must be a doctor, not a, uh, no, a career in radiation therapy. 
Yes, exactly. So, yeah, and it's so common. I mean, it's not the doctors who actually deliver the radiation. Yeah. The doctors are the ones who prescribe, okay, okay, well, this person had so-and-so cancer, and for this cancer to be treated, we need to give them this amount of dose of radiation. But they're not the ones who actually plan the radiation treatment. It's actually medical physicists, physicists, and radiation therapists who plan the treatment and deliver it. So, yeah, absolutely. So, like, uh, what is radiation therapy? All right. So, let's get to uh, the basics, actually. So, so the idea of radiation therapy is um, to use radiation. What people, a lot of people think radiation is bad. And in this field, what we do is we turn that bad into something good. Yeah. So, we use that radiation, um, the, the physics of radiation, understand the biology of cancer, and somehow we make it work. So radiation interacts with the cancer cells. They damage the DNA of the cancer cells and prevent them from growing or multiplying. Um, and that's the basic idea that is used in radiation therapy. Um, and the field is called radiation therapy because obviously it's using radiation is delivered to a small area in your body um, therapeutically. Um, it is not used being used diagnostically, which is what a lot of people know about radiation that we do X-rays and yeah. um, CT scanners, and they think that they're used for diagnostic. But we're not using it just for diagnostic. We're using it actually to therapeutically to treat the cancers, and that is the field of radiation therapy. And so, like, as you mentioned, this radiation kills the uh, cancer cells, you know, it damages mm -hmm. the DNA. So, like, can Correct. you uh, tell us more about the biological action in brief? Like, uh, what does yeah, it do to a DNA? So, um, what happens really is it, it um, there are two mechanisms, um, and to simplify them, I, I will explain how that works. There are two mechanisms with which the radiation really damages the DNA. Mm -hmm. um, now, DNA, as you all know or may not know, is uh, the basic element that determines the growth, the, you know, everything that a life is yeah. representative of, right? Like the growth, reproduction, everything. Mm -hmm. um, that's what everything goes on. So the way um, and the cancer cells are very notorious, um, the DNA may makes copies, multiple copies of those cancer cells. It just doesn't regulate itself. The growth is uncon uncontrollable. So the idea is the radiation will, will seep into the cells of cancer and then attack the DNA. The way, the way it does it is in two ways. It either directly attacks the DNA or it will indirectly attack the DNA. So when I say directly attack, so for example, if we are using type of photon, there are different types of radiation again, um, and they work differently. So let's let's take an example of photons, and then there is electrons, and then carbon ions, there are protons, there are different types, but let's take photons. Photons will enter the body, enter the, the cancer cell, um, it will attack and and immediately damage the DNA directly. So it will split the DNA directly upon impact, okay? Mm -hmm. but the other way is it will either create free radicals inside it. So it will interact with a water molecule or, or other molecules, and it will create free radicals like um, hydro, um, OH molecule or hydrogen molecule. And then eventually these molecules or radicals are the ones that go and interact with DNA and stop them from replicating. So there are these two mechanisms that are very common that happen, and that's how the DNA gets damaged via use of radiation. Does that answer your question? Yeah, yeah. So basically, it uh, 
uh, stops the cell from replicating by attacking the DNA. Yes, correct. Yes. And so, like this uh, radiation, when we administer it to the patient, it will affect mm -hmm. normal cells as well. So, how does this work? Yes, um, I mean, of course, it will affect because let's say we're treating a prostate cancer, right? It is situated among these other very sensitive um, organs like rectum, bladder, um, urethra, and things like that, right? Um, and, and then it has to travel to the, the body, the other parts of the body, like when you're delivering the radiation from the front, for example, it has to go through the skin and then any tissues under the skin and things like that. So it does actually deposit some radiation in that area that it passes through. Mm -hmm. Now, like I mentioned before, the cancer cells are notorious. They multiply, but they also have a, um, a downside. Or what they cannot do is they're not very good at repairing themselves with the damage. But the normal cells are really good at repairing themselves from the DNA damage. Um, so even if they are affected, the normal cells will exhibit some kind of damage and then you will see some kind of side effects. For example, if the radiation is going through the stomach lining, it will get upset and then you might feel a little bit nauseous and things like that. Okay. But over time, when the radiation is finished, these normal cells automatically repair themselves and these side effects then go away. Um, so, for example, in, in the prostate patients, um, what we do is we normally, we don't deliver the beam in, in one direction. We try to deliver the beam from different, when I say beam, it's the radiation beam. We just call it a beam um, because it's just easier representation. So the beams are split into several different segments and then we deliver them from different angles. So what happens is, you have this one collective dose that you now split in different beams coming from different angles. And that, that means that the center or the target gets the whole dose, but the surrounding tissue, the dose is split. The radiation that goes through the surrounding tissue is split and not they, all the surrounding tissue doesn't get all the dose at once. Does that make sense? Yeah, so the maximum yeah. concentration of radiation is uh, centered at the uh, tumor or where the cancer is. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Uh, and then the, because the beams are split, the, the, the beams going through the normal tissues is not as intense. And hence, mm -hmm. the, the, um, the side effects are not as intense and the tissues are able, normal tissues are able to repair themselves pretty quickly. Okay. So, like, uh, what is the role of a radiation therapist? Uh, like, uh, do you divide the dose which is to be given to the uh, patient? Now, that answer is dependent on the region. Uh, it's very region-specific. So when I say region, um, globally, um, radiation therapists have different tasks in different countries, for example. Mm -hmm. um, let me tell you how it works in North America. Um, North America radiation therapists are, um, are basically... Uh, the experts who are, um, you know, very well worked with delivering the treatment. So their job is to make sure um, that they do a lot of quality assurance. So they make sure that the plan that comes to them is properly checked, thoroughly checked that it is for the patient. It is in the right area. The dose is correctly measured and everything. They check all of that. They check the machine. Um, and then they actually put the patient on the bed. They make sure the patient is nicely lined and straightened up according to the plan. Um, and then they actually go and deliver the patient, the, the, the radiation treatment. 
And there is other levels to this. They all, some of the radiation therapists go and, uh, and do um, extra bit where, where they're called the symmetrists, which means they're allowed to actually do the treatment planning for the patient. Now, in North America, it's the physicist and the geosymmetrist are the people who actually plan the radiation treatment for, um, for the radiation therapy. Um, so that's also part of a radiation therapist's job. Um, um, then they are also involved with a lot of patient teaching because, like you mentioned before, there, there will be normal tissues affected and there will be side effects. Mm -hmm. So almost likely every patient does get a little bit of a side effect here and there. Um, some people are really good at tolerating, some people are not. So their majority of the part of the job is also to make sure they educate people about these side effects or the patients about these side effects. Mm -hmm. and then they help them manage these side effects as well. So it's a very, um, what do you say, they're very clear where you actually get to do a lot of things. Mm -hmm. And you can always diverge. You don't have to stay and do one thing. You can always go into the research because radiation therapists are also involved with a lot of research that happens in the department. Um, you can specialize in, in one, uh, like for example, just one body part, for example, and then do a little bit more extra to get, uh, you know, to do, to support the patients in that field. Mm -hmm. uh, so, like, uh, there is this radiation therapist and radiation oncologist. Are, like, these two the same or uh, different? Um, like, uh, again, this is, uh, in some part of the world, they call the radiation oncologist radiation therapist. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, for example, I visited some centers in, in, um, in Asia Pacific region, in India. Um, they call the oncologist radiation therapist. Mm -hmm. But in North America, um, it, they are quite distinct. They are separate. Um, um, and, and, and in, in, in India or, or Asia Pacific region, some of the regions they call oncologists the the you know the, the uh, radiation therapists, but the radiation therapists are called technologists. So okay. it's just the the gameplay, like the word play. Basically, okay. everybody in every different region they're called differently, but the professions are quite different. Radiation oncologists are the doctors who study the cancer and how to um, treat the cancer using radiation. So they understand the doses. They understand the Effects that the, the amount of radiation is going to cause on on certain body parts, um, but they they may not be the specialized people who can actually plan the radiation because that requires a separate set of skills where you have to learn this planning system. It's, it's a it's a technology, it's a software where you need to actually go a little bit more deeper into physics and technology and that sort of thing. So um, it, it's a, it's a quite different um, mm -hmm. profession. When a person gets diagnosed with a cancer, like if they, so for, for example, the journey of a patient is, um, they start feeling uneasy, they, 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 you know, they notice something abnormal about their body parts, they go to the normal GP or a doctor, um, and then the doctor suspects something, um, and, and they will say, well, I think there might be a tumor or this and that, so they get scanned, um, they get diagnostic tests done, and if the diagnostic tests come positive, then the doctor suggests them, okay, well, you have these options. You can either do chemotherapy, you can do radiation therapy, or there is a combination therapy that you can do. And based on all those decisions, then the patient is then referred. For example, if they think that this patient will benefit from radiation therapy, then that patient is then referred to the radiation oncologist. 
a radiation oncologist then goes through the whole process of, okay, well, this, this tumor it can respond to radiation very well, so let's plan the radiation treatment. And that's when uh, his journey begins, basically. So he, he's, it's a specialization um, of, um, of medicine. So, like you just mentioned it, that uh, if a person will benefit from radiation therapy, then he suggested one. But, like, I wanted to know there are stages in cancer. Like, you know, uh, is radiation therapy suggested at some stage? Or, like, is it the first line of treatment? It is, is it the last resort when you just can't do anything much more with chemotherapy and you know, maybe you can't Absolutely not. Okay. No, absolutely not. Um, this is another myth that people think that mm -hmm. radiation therapy is the last line of treatment. It's absolutely not the last line of treatment. Mm -hmm. Believe it or not, almost 50% of the patients who get diagnosed with cancer will undergo radiation therapy mm -hmm. or will benefit from radiation therapy as their primary treatment. It, again, depends on the type of tumor, the stage of tumor, all of this actually, because, you know, every body part responds to medicine Differently. Every body part responds yeah. to radiation differently, and each body part is, uh, for example, some some tumors might respond very well to um, to chemo, but they may not respond at all to radiation. And, but there are other tumors who can respond really well to the radiation, but they don't respond to, to chemo at all. Um, or there are tumors that can respond to both in combination. You might have to give the chemo first and then radiation or radiation first and then chemo second. So um, I think um, the radiation therapy is sort of a, um, in some of the tumors, can be used as a primary mode of treatment. Okay. And again, this all happens with um, with the discussions with the, there will be a discussions in, in the, uh, with the doctors and all the stakeholders, and they all discuss, okay, what is the best line of action? Mm -hmm. This is the tumor, this is the staging, this is, the, and the other, the, there are other factors like the age of the per, per, per patient, or if there are other comorbidities, if there are other comorbidities, are they going to affect the type of treatment that they are giving? So there are a lot of decision-making things that goes on behind this. But radiation is not a last line of resort. It can be a primary or adjuvant or combination therapy, basically. Uh, like because I remember uh, two years back, uh, my grandfather was diagnosed with a cancer, and so mm -hmm. it was basically kidney cancer, but it was uh, like the one which metastasizes. So like it spread rapidly to his uh, other uh, parts. So first of all, um, he uh, went and he underwent a surgery in which uh, his kidney was uh, removed. But later, again a year later, his cancer relapsed, and then he was suggesting right. a radiation therapy. Right. So, um, so again, like I mentioned, you know, it depends on the type of the cancer. Because some mm -hmm. some cancer, so some metastases respond well to the radiation, or sometimes the radiation is given as a palliative treatment, which means mm -hmm. to, if the cancer has spread to other body parts and it's affecting their normal day-to-day -day life um, and it's causing them pain, then the radiation can actually be used not as a mm -hmm. treatment but as a palliation. Palliation means to comfort them, mm -hmm. to reduce that pain level. Um, and at least let them have their, you know, normal day-to-day -day activities going. Um, but in that case, it's not really uh, curative, let's say. It's, mm -hmm. it's more of a palliative. Um, but, but like I said, in other treatments, 
radiation can really, really be um, effective. Um, in this case, uh, in your personal case you just mentioned, it, it, it could only be suggested as a palliative or, you know, if, if there was something that was bothering him um, or if there was a metastasis that they thought mm -hmm. could benefit from radiation. Yeah, exactly. So uh, how is this radiation uh, treatment plan? Because I remember uh, he used to visit uh, the uh, radiation oncologist a week before his mm -hmm. treatment. Uh, he used to right. have some scans done and then later a week, maybe later, he would have his uh, therapy. So uh, okay. how does this work? So that's how exactly it works. So once the patient is referred to the radiation oncologist, radiation oncologist, um, he will map out what kind of radiation needs to be done. Because there are, again, like I mentioned, different types of radiation, and they all respond to different body parts differently. Um, so they, they decide, okay, for this particular cancer, um, this is the amount of dose we are going to give. This, this, those will be split into so many days. Um, and this is the type of uh, treatment we're going to there are, again, um, some treatments are very simple. You just, you know, you just literally uh, conform to the tumor. But then the other other type of treatments are where you have you modulate the intensity of the radiation. So you give more radiation in some part of the tumor, and um, and then you know to cover um, cover because tumor has a different shape basically. So to cover that different shape, you you increase and decrease the modulation of the intensity of the uh, radiation. So he he's the one who decides okay, this patient is going to benefit from this type of radiation this kind of energy of the radiation mm -hmm. and this amount of dose. When that happens, it is then passed on to the uh, planning team. Now, planning mm -hmm. team can consist of, like I mentioned, medical physicist, radiation therapist, and dosimetrist. So, mm -hmm. depending on what part of the world is, anybody, any of these people can actually plan the treatment. So, before they plan the treatment, they, they are sent to a planning CT scanner. Okay. So by this time, the diagnosis is already done. The CT scan is used, uh, the data set is used to plan the treatment on the computer. So they are then, once the doctor says, okay, now we're going to start the radiation treatment, so um, on the second day, for example, they will come back in, they will do a CT scan, mm -hmm. and then they go back home. The patient will go back home. Um, it takes about, not, initially it used to take two, three weeks, depending on what type of treatment you're planning, but now it doesn't take that long. It could take anywhere between a week to two days, two days to a week um, to plan a treatment, and it also depends on how busy the, the radiation center is. Mm -hmm. um, and how many people are working, right? So, yeah. so once the planning CT is done, the, the the planning team takes that CT scan and starts developing a plan on that CT scan. Okay, they use a special mm -hmm. software to to uh, to mimic the beams that will come from different directions to calculate the dose uh, to different organs, um, and if there are any organs at risk, how to avoid that radiation to those organs, and those, that that all goes into the planning of that radiation. So it's not just oh you have a CT, uh, this is a tumor, just put the beams on. You have to consider the other other effects yeah. um, that the radiation can cause, right? So there's a lot of things that go into the planning. And once the planning is done, they then call the patient and say, well, we're going to start your treatment from next Monday, for example. Mm -hmm. um, and then the patient comes in. So, And then there are... Um, different types of, um, uh, I mean, they, they could have one-day treatment or they could have 30-day treatment, okay. basically, depending on the tumor and the type of radiation is being planned on them. So once they start treatment, so let's say if they have a multiple treatment, they will come in every single day for mm -hmm. those 10-15 minutes, and then they go back home. So it's an outpatient procedure, basically. 
So, uh, like, there's some specific tests that a patient has to take before he begins his uh, radiation therapy? Um, some what blood tests or something like that? Oh. Um, see, these are the things that happen at the diagnostic levels, right? Like if, if, okay. if their doctor is suspecting something that, mm -hmm. you know, this person might have is showing the symptoms of, let's say, leukemia, which is a blood cancer, mm -hmm. then obviously they will send them to blood tests. Uh, but if the person is showing, you know, uh, or, or like the prostate cancer, again, there are some markers that are elevated in the prostate cancer in the blood, mm -hmm. and they might do a blood test and that will tell them that, yes, if this marker is elevated, that means this person could have um, potentially this type of tumor. Um, yes, there are several different tests that are done. Um, it depends on what complaint they come come with. Basically. Okay. Uh, so radiation therapy is given using this machine called Linear Accelerator or LINAC for short. So can you yes. tell us in brief about this? How does this machine work? Yes, of course. I mean, the concept is, um, um, is quite... Um, uh, how do I say this um, in a nice way? It, it's quite advanced technology and it's quite um, complicated, but it's the best way and the state of the art, the way we have it currently. So the basic idea is that the, um, the linear accelerator generates um, the, uh, it is not a light source. Okay, so some people do think that it's a life source element, and it's not. The linear accelerators today do not have a life source because that's what a lot of people think that, oh, is this radioactive, mm -hmm. first of all. Um, let's just burst that myth and say, no, the linear accelerator is not radioactive. Mm -hmm. um, it, the way it actually um, uh, generates the radiation is it uses electrons. So electrons are generated in the um, electron gun, and then they are accelerated at a really high speed uh, through a waveguide. Mm -hmm. And then when these electrons are going through the waveguide, um, they, they come in contact, eventually at the end, they come in contact with a very heavy metal. Um, and this heavy metal is called tungsten. Mm -hmm. um, when the electrons hit the tungsten, um, there is a physics happening there. They produce photons. And that the photon are the, are the radi is the type of radiation that we normally use in linear accelerators to treat the patient. So then these photons are basically uh, targeted or are um, beamed towards the patient um, tumor. Um, and that technology is quite um, uh, intricate because then we can actually shape how the beam looks like or it, it, it can be shaped according to the shape of the tumor, for example. Um, and that's all done in, in the head of the machine, which we call as a gantry. In the gantry, you have all these um, bits and pieces that help you modify, um, streamline that radiation, and then... Um, um, curve it according to your needs, basically. Um, so that's what really the linear accelerator does, and that's how the radiation is produced inside the linear accelerator. Mm, okay. So uh, there is like the CT scan, MRI scan, and PET scan. Can you uh, tell mm -hmm. us the difference between these three? Um, now, in terms of radiation therapy, um, I, I don't think... Um, uh, it's more of a, on the diagnostic side, right? Mm -hmm. MRI is a non-ionizing um, 
uh, technology, so it doesn't produce any radiation. So technically, it doesn't harm. Um, it doesn't actually harm patient in 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 the way that a CT scanner probably would, because CT scanner is a radiation. Yeah. Um. It's an it's an X-ray that can actually affect the normal cells as well. Uh, PET scan, on the other hand, is a type of a radioactive element that is injected by the patient, and then they are put into the detector that detects these elements from the uh, or the tracer elements from the patient's body. Um, so I would say MRI is one of the um, very rare diagnostic tools um, that doesn't use ionizing radiation for the diagnostic purposes. Um, and those are the basic distinctions. Um, currently, they are all, they can all be used to help with radiation therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, the, our company has just recently come up with a very innovative technology where we have incorporated the MRI and linear accelerator in one machine. So what that helps us with is we take an MRI image right before the radiation treatment, um, and know exactly where the tumor is, and then shoot the radiation into in, towards the tumor. Um, that actually helps us to to make sure that we're we're avoiding a lot of normal tissues, and we're only treating where we need to treat, while letting us constantly image while we are treating. So. In the normal C- C- cone beam CT that we do on the current linear accelerators, you can't really keep on taking the CT scan because it's still ionizing radiation. And you still have to account for that when you do the planning of radiation, right? But with MRI, you don't have to worry about that extra radiation. You can just image the patient whenever you want, however you want, while you're treating the patient. Oh, well, that's a, a great invention because then this will allow yes. you to precisely deliver your treatment. Exactly, and that is what we call it, and we call it in the precision medicine. Um, That's our motto right now. So uh, there is uh, like external beam radiation therapy and internal radiation. Uh, What's the difference between these two? Yeah, so external is the one that I just mentioned uh, that we deliver the linear accelerator because that's coming from outside the patient's body, right? It's not actually inside. So that radiation is being produced outside and then delivered inside the patient. So that's why it's called external radiation. Um, internal, um, or uh, the other other terminology for it is brachytherapy. Um, brachytherapy is where we put the live sources of radiation inside the patient's body um, in the tumor site. So we literally inject the iodine um, seeds, for example, the radioactive iodine seeds, or um, cesium, or uh, other radi- radioactive sources inside the patient's body. So they stay there, um, and the radiation actually is delivered from those sources inside the um, patient's body. Mm-hmm. Does that answer your question? Yeah. Uh, so, like, uh, is there any particular type of cancer that in which you only use internal radiation and you cannot use uh, external beam radiation therapy? Um, no, I wouldn't say there is any particular cancer that we use internal or external. It depends on what what type of tumor benefits best from from internal or external, right? So, I mean, you can still use um, internal. Uh, I mean, sorry, external. For let's take cervical cancer. Mm-hmm. Now. Brachytherapy is um, is known and proven to be really effective effective in cervical cancer, but 
for some reason that the patient denies brachytherapy. They don't want a radioactive source inside their body. Um, it doesn't mean that they're not a good candidate for external beam. Mm -hmm. They can also benefit from the external beam in that case. Um, so it, it's really a judgment call, but we, we do what's the best practice and what has been proven. So for most of the cervical, certain types of cervical cancer, it's, it's best to have internal radiation, but it doesn't mean that they, they cannot benefit from the external. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's radiation eventually. Yes. Uh, so, like, are there any post-treatment precautions that patients need to take? Yes, there is. Um, they are actually trained and they are briefed with a lot of things that they need to take care of post-treatment. Mm -hmm. So, radiation, when, when the patient gets radiation, um, they don't feel, they don't see anything. They, it's just taking an x-ray, basically. They lie on the bed and they don't feel anything. Um, so the radiation doesn't um, do anything right away. The effects start showing up one or two weeks after the radiation is being delivered. Okay. So okay. the first first week, the patient might not feel anything. Their, you know, their skin might be completely intact. Uh, they have no side effects or nothing. But you know, to as soon as the radiation starts accumulating, the normal cells start showing the effects. And that would take a week or two weeks. And then it will last up to few weeks to months to a year after the radiation is completed, depending on what type of radiation that they have received. Mm -hmm. So we have to educate them that, you know, your skin might still feel sore. It might still take some time to heal. Uh, what kind of care they need to take, what type of diet they need to continue having, what type of exercise and things like that. Yes, they, they, all of that is actually um, a part of the process of radiation treatment teaching to the patient. So there is a lot of things that they need to, to take care of afterwards as well. Uh, so, uh, like, as you mentioned, there are some side effects of uh, radiation, like uh, skin sores and all that. So what are the other side mm -hmm. effects and uh, why are those? Um, that's a very good question. So the reason I say it's a good question, because a lot of people think about radiation um, causing side effects and they're really bad um, and just like chemo you might lose hair but that's not the case. The radiation only affects the region that you are treating or the radiation passes through. So unlike chemotherapy where it can, because you know chemo actually goes through your entire body yeah. so it can affect any of the cells and that's why you get hair loss. So radiation, so let's say if you're treating or delivering the radiation in, in your hand or your stomach, your hair in your head is not going to get affected. You will not lose hair. Um, it will only affect the region that the radiation is going through, right? So, mm -hmm. um, I mean, it's, it's very uh, localized, let's say that. So, for example, if I'm doing a breast treatment, the mm -hmm. breast skin will get affected. It will, after a few weeks' time, the, bre the skin will start, you know, getting red, itchy a little bit. Um, so for some people, it might even start to peel. Mm -hmm. um, and that's quite normal. It, it's quite normal and expected side effects in radiation therapy. Uh, but because it's a normal tissue, um, it will start healing as soon as the radiation is complete. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so if you're giving treatment to your head, for example, the only area that the radiation is going to, um, the hair in that area might get affected. But even then, a lot of people try to, you know, they choose to shave the whole entire head off. That's, that's completely fine. 
so like these uh, side effects are mostly due to the high energy of this uh, radiation yeah yeah yes, absolutely uh, so like you cannot see a patient when you're treating him right so like when you administer uh, radiation so Actually, you can Actually, you can. Yeah. So even though patient is inside a treatment room uh, alone, there is nobody inside there with them. We have a lot of cameras in the room, and you can sit at the console, which is right outside the treatment room, and you can watch the patient live as they are being treated. Yeah, and I guess there is this uh, technology called as uh, image guided radiotherapy, which actually yeah, so allows you to. Oh, yeah. So the image-guided radiotherapy is, uh, which I was talking before, where we can do MRI or a CT scan right mm -hmm. before the treatment. So um, on the linear accelerator, we also have something called as an um, uh, X-ray volumetric imaging, which means per perpendicular to the head of the machine where the radiation comes from, we have these panels um, and a source of uh, extra radiation. Um, uh, and we do a quick cone beam CT scan. So we, we move this gantry or the machine around the patient um, and take a quick CT scan right before the treatment. Then we use that CT scan, which is not diagnostic quality, mind you. It's, mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's, the quality is good enough for us to be able to see some tough soft tissue and, and bony anatomy. But we use that cone beam CT and then we overlap it on the one that we did during the plan. CT. Remember I mentioned earlier that we all, once the doctor decides that this patient is going to have radiation, they go and get the planning CT mm -hmm. done. We overlap it with the planning CT and then we see if the mm -hmm. organs have moved around or if there's any difference and if there is, we try to um, we, we try to compensate for that or we move the patient uh, enough to get into the treatment position. And that's what it, uh, the um, image-guided radiation therapy does. The image-guided radiation therapy allows you to see inside the patient's body right before you deliver the treatment. Yeah, so like this then improves the precision and accuracy of the treatment delivery. Mm -hmm. And so this is a recent advancement. So what was the situation before, like when there was no uh, imaging available? Oh my God, it was a blind eye. <laughs> so you basically had to be really good at, okay, so when I say that blind eye, I don't mean it, it was a completely blind eye because you did have other measurements or other type of um, um, support or help that you can use. So patients used to get tattoos on their body, like literally a, a dot of tattoos. So for example, if you're treating a, anywhere in the pelvis area, you would have one dot um, on the top of the tummy uh, and then two on the side, um, on the side, uh, just just above your hips. Okay. Um, and then we used to use these uh, tattoos to line. There are lasers in the room, and then we used to use the lasers to line the patient up to these tattoos, so we know they are in the position. Um, and even before, I, I mean, even before this laser or this kind of technology or imaging technology, I think they, there were other measurements they did. Um, I don't know because, you know, I can't go far, that far back. I don't know how they practiced back then. Mm -hmm. But you're right. It was internally they would not be able to see. So they would definitely have more area treatment. So, for example, they don't want to miss. Right now what we do is we, we conform to the tumor only. But back then, because they couldn't see the tumor, they would make the area bigger. So the radiation that they delivered was to the larger area, but more, more uh, like uh, tumor plus 
the surrounding tissues would be delivered the radiation, which is obviously not that good. But but to make sure that they don't miss the tumor, they had to make sure that they enlarge the margins, basically. Um, so that's how they did it, probably. Uh, like so, there are certain myths about uh, radiation therapy. So maybe you know we just can discuss it so people can get rid of right. these myths. Mm -hmm. uh, so firstly, is radiation painful? No, like I mentioned before, uh, they when they go through the radi radiation um, itself it is not painful. They do not feel or they cannot hear or they cannot touch the radiation at all. So when they're lying on the bed, it's just like taking an X-ray. So this high energy radiation does not um, directly uh, is not directly painful. What's really painful is when they get the side effects. They, it might be a little uncomfortable um, for them, but uh, the radiation directly is not painful. No. Um, and does radiation turn a person radioactive? Oh my God, no. <laughs> I think this is the biggest myth that people have. That it, and, and you will not believe how many times I used to get this question, will I get radioactive? Yeah. And will I emit radiation to my grandchildren, for example? Um, the answer is no. I mean, unless you're having brachytherapy, which is the internal radioactive source that is put inside your body. Um, but again, they are quite safe in that because um, the radiation gets absorbed uh, before even reach, it reaches out. So yes, we do ask them to take some precautions while they're on bracket therapy, um, and uh, you know if they're going home, um, then yes, then you might have to be a little careful. But this strong beam is no, no, no. You will not glow, or you will not be radioactive at all. <laughs> Would be great though. <laughs> You're glowing around. <laughs> I know. Imagine. Oh, what's that glow? I just had radiation. <laughs> Uh, and you won't believe how many people think that they will be. Have you seen the movie Hulk? Yeah, I have. And yeah, I have yeah. people discuss and believe it. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, every time. And the, the people, the people, the amount of people that actually think that they can get that kind of superpower by just being irradiated to a high amount of gamma rays. Right. No, not in your, not in our lifetime. Not at all. Not a chance. <laughs> that yeah. kind of evolution takes eons. Okay, this <laughs> and I don't think we will be alive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and coming from a radiation uh, therapist, yeah, like now people will believe. I hope so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I hope so too. <laughs> no, uh, like then is the radiation therapy suggested for a, a pregnant lady? Um, so uh, I contraindicated pregnant pregnancy is contraindicated to radiation, um, but um, again, it is it is really really depending on the type of the situation that the person is in, right? Mm -hmm. um, if you are pregnant and you have um, like some um, like the disease or cancer of the stomach or things like that, then obviously it's completely not not possible. You cannot radiate in that. So you might have to find some alternative. Um, therapy or different different options for for that, um, but most of the time, pregnant uh, pregnancies are not allowed to go on undergo radiation. Now let's take a break. Here's a word from our sponsor. Hey guys, do you want to learn or improve your English? Here is the app for you. Otter app helps you learn English while chatting and improve your listening, understanding and speaking. Otter has 200 plus basic, intermediate and advanced English conversation topics and 100 plus grammar tests and exercises. 
It also has complete grammar curriculum for better sentence construction, translation in common Indian languages and a clickable dictionary. Plus, it is very simple to use. You can start conversing with chatbots and live tutors for just 10 to 15 minutes a day. With Utter app, you will be able to improve your English conversation skills. Utter will help you in speaking in casual and professional scenarios. So, download Utter app now and use code Utter25 to avail 25% discount on premium membership. And we are back. Uh, there is this uh, like increasing discussion with respect to application of artificial intelligence in every field. So, like, what do you think in the field of radiation? Uh, radiation would it be wise and helpful to uh, introduce AI in radiation? Oh my God! Why not? <laughs> I mean, it, imagine all these this data that we have in this field. So, for example, we have so many um, images for diagnostic quality images, and then if somehow a computer can look at the pattern, and then for the forthcoming patient, it can say, "Well, this patient has this kind of tumor." My my God! Why can't we have that? Right? I mean, yeah. what what harm can it do? I mean, obviously, we need our oncologists to be there to make sure we are doing, like, these computers, because, you know, computer can fail all the time. Um, but, uh, I mean, the advances, the type of things that also, for example, now we do a lot of quality assurance on the machine, but mm -hmm. physicists are so bound to, you know, they have to be physically there. They have yeah. to load the machine, or they have to load the quality assurance um, phantoms on the bed. They have to do a lot of other things, um, um, and they have to do a lot of things manually, but if the system or the artificial intelligence is smart enough that they know what kind of tests need to be done during what time of the day, I mean, why not? That, that makes life so much easier if they can analyze all of that data for us and uh, give us a predictive analysis. Now, in the radiation therapy field, imagine if, because, you know, linear acceleration is a machine. Mm -hmm. it, it can fail. It can sometimes do weird things. Um, and if it fails, it's an electronic, something goes off. But imagine mm -hmm. if the if we have an artificial intelligence that studies how that machine is functioning and then it can predict, okay, what what might fail next? How amazing it would be to prevent that failure even before it fails. So mm -hmm. AI in radiation therapy can be used in several different areas um, to support uh, the technology, um, bring the ease of um, work, and let people concentrate on more important things, basically. So yes, mm -hmm. I think it has a huge role in radiation therapy. Well, it will be a great help, including AI yeah. and radiation, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, Sonal, you're working on something called as a high-intensity focused ultrasound. Uh, tell us more about your research. Um, so that was my master's uh, thesis. That was my master's research. And high-intensity focused ultrasound is an upcoming um, technology as well. I mean, it has been in practice for a long time, but they, they, my modification, was, I had a little bit of a modification to it. So high-intensity focused ultrasound is... Um, 
normal ultrasound, when, we, when we, for example, a lady is pregnant and, you know, how do they find out they're pregnant? They will go and have their ultrasound okay. done, right? Yeah. Um, and they look at the baby and then they get excited. I remember my days when I got ultrasound <laughs> for my son and I'm so excited. I tried. Um, but that's, that's magical, right? And the ultrasound is the safest way to, mm-hmm. to detect um, some, uh, you know, different types of things that you want to detect in body because it's based on the sound energy. It is not a physical ionizing energy. So it's, it's one of the safest kind of the mm-hmm. um, imaging technology. But that's how people know ultrasound. They don't know that there is a therapeutic part to ultrasound. So normally when they are doing a diagnostic test, the ultrasound beam is fanned out, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's, it's a wide beam. Yeah. What the high intensity focused ultrasound does is instead of fanning it out, it actually concentrates it. So it brings all the sound waves to one point. And what happens is because it's a mechanical wave, it's a sound wave, uh, it's a mechanical wave, it actually um, creates a disturbance in, in, in the material that is passing through, in this case, the body. Mm-hmm. So if it's concentrated in one point, all these mechanical waves will be so disturbed that they will create some other kind of energy, and in this case, heat energy. They will create so much heat that it can actually burn the tissue. And that's the um, the, the uh, technology that I was harnessing. I was using high-intensity focused mm-hmm. ultrasound to heat the tissue up and see if it can have potential um, um, applications in treating tumors. So literally, ablate the tumor, burn mm-hmm. the tumor inside the body, and then the normal mechanism of the body will get rid of the di- dead cells of the tumor. Um, what I also did is then added an extra bit to it. I added ultrasound microbubbles. Now, mm-hmm. microbubbles have a different mechanism and a different physics. I won't go into that detail. But what I noticed that if I add microbubbles in the area that I'm doing high intensity focused ultrasound, mm-hmm. it actually increases the temperature a lot more in a lot shorter uh, time, time scale, which means your therapy can actually be improved in shorter amount of time. Um, yeah, in applications are in, in, in several different areas. So, for example, you could apply that in, in tube, like, you know, cancer treatment or uh, other kind of benign treatments, basically. That would be the main goal of it. Yeah, and it would be a, a safer technology compared to radiations. Uh, like well, yes, absolutely. Medicine. Because... Yeah, yeah. I mean, the side effects, uh, yeah, there could and could not be because ultrasound still has to pass through the skin, right? Yeah. So you might have a little bit of a skin irritation because of the um, the difference between the medium uh, where the ultrasound passes through. But again, it's not as much as you would have in, in, in radiation, for example, because the radiation then actually affects other, um, other parts of the body inside the body, right? So, yeah. yeah, definitely. Sonalia, you are into something really amazing <laughs> and you are just <laughs> that a physicist doesn't, you know, need to be working in a lab continuing his research. No. Yes, absolutely. I think that's important, right? Like a lot of people who also think that having, uh, doing a BSc or PhD means you have to be in a lab. I think that's yeah. not true. I think you can choose how you want to do it, you know? You can, yes, maybe some, some, um, uh, some kind of basic science you need, you need to, uh, so I do actually work in a factory too. So when I do some kind of testing or things, I have to be where the radiation therapy machine is. So that's basically my lab. 
um, I, I don't have pipettes and, and, and little uh, centrifuge things, but I do, that's my lab. So my lab is different from what the biomedical science person might have, mm-hmm. for example. Um, but then I chose to be a little bit more um, varied field where I could actually um, go out, talk to people, and get an understanding of how they're using the technology, and then come back to my company and say, well, look, this is what we also need to do, incorporate because this is where the new technology is going and this is what people want, basically. So I choose to, to yeah, you can, you always have choices, I think. This is quite interesting, but then at the same time, you know, it, it must be tough to see people, you know, suffering and then yet you have to keep your calm. So how do you deal with this? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is one question that um, I rarely get asked, but when I do get asked, I it's very personal to me. Um, and yes, it is It is very, very tough. You have to be mentally, um, uh, uh, you know, tough to, to be able to work in this environment. Um, there are very many examples that I can tell you that radiation therapy has um, brought joy to me and brought sadness to me in, in a way uh, when I used to work in a clinic. Um, and uh, I, I think that is what pushed me um, to really go a little bit step further and learn a little bit more, under, get a more understanding of why we are doing what we are doing, why are we treating the way we are treating, and what can we do to make it more easier for them. You know, because radiation therapy, like any other sort of intervention, is not um, foolproof, right? And we need a lot more research in it, and we need to make it 100% basically. Um, so it, it's difficult in a way that every single day, as a radiation therapist, I had to walk into that um, treatment room and think about the patients and patients alone. If I had any, um, you know, moral obligations or mental fights that I was fighting, I had to leave that out outside. I couldn't bring it with me. And that's the thing you have to understand that, yes, we are people too. We have other, you know, other things. But mm-hmm. when you come into this environment, you have to understand that somebody else's life and somebody else's hopes are depending on us. So we can't let our prejudices or our battles, internal battles, affect how we um, come across in, in that in that uh, in that treatment room with the other patient. Um, so I think in a way it's a very mentally challenging because you have to switch between things immediately. You know, um, you have to work towards it. And if you're an emotional kind of person, it can get really really mm-hmm. um, difficult. Um, which I was actually, I was quite emotional. Very little things would matter matter to me, really. Um, but over time, when you see, but you know what's the magical part of this profession? Mm-hmm. When you come across patients, I would say 99% of the patients are the liveliest patients you will ever meet. I mean, they are going through so much, but they have so much energy. They have, by that time, they already know that they are going through this, right? So they, they, they are the motivators, basically. Mm-hmm for what you're doing. So it's, it's a, in a good way to see that, you know, people who are going through so much hardship are also actually the people who can motivate you in what you're doing. And they sort of um, validate that whatever work you're doing is actually worth it. Um, but then there are hard days and there are good days, basically. <laughs> so, yeah, so it's quite mentally challenging. <laughs> Uh, do you have any such particular experience when it was uh, really very difficult for you to treat? Um, I do actually have quite some, actually. Um, 
I had a I had a moment um, where we were treating a person uh, for for the spine treatment, mm-hmm. and um, we he actually underwent a, a heart attack on the treatment bed, and uh, the uh, that that person uh, was getting he was such a sweetheart. I, I mean, every single day he came to us, and on the unit uh, we we used to work in pairs, but there were four therapists who worked on there, mm-hmm. and he he used to come every single day and say something special to each of us and that would be really special to like unique to every person that was working on there um so we had built that connection with him and one day uh, we lost him to a heart attack um and it was just it was mm-hmm. incomprehensible we couldn't we couldn't take that in i mean those are that moment and then there's other moments where um i treated a lot, lot of pediatric patients for example like kids um mm-hmm. And the things that they say uh, and they do are, are extremely um, sensitive. You know, you no matter what kind of person you are, you will get affected. Yeah. Um, and there is a very happy story. I, I probably want to share a happy story with you, actually. Sure. Um, we had a, 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 gent, a, a gentleman and a lady. So, and there was a lady we were treating, um, and she was around, I think, 70 years old, and the gentleman were, was around 65 years old. Um, mm-hmm. So they came every single day they came together so this man brought her in for the treatment she got her treatment and then they would go up we automatically assumed that they are you know husband and wife obviously because they come together and this man brings so the the last day of the treatment sorry the second last day of the treatment this man came to our treatment unit while the lady was being treated Mm -hmm. and he said to me hey I have a favor to ask and we were like anything and he was like "Um, that lady in there I, I have been with her 40 years um, but now I'm, I want to do something that I've never done in my life and we were like what is it and then he said I want to propose her to marry me oh. imagine our shock <laughs> I was like wow we already assumed you were married and they were like no we've been together 40 years but I never proposed her so can you help me and the next day which was her last treatment we, we sort of came together we decorated the treatment room and we helped him to propose her and obviously she said yes but it was a very emotional and happy moment. So things like that you get to see, um, it was very, very touching. And then there's hard days when you can't actually deal with something. And uh, I mean, those are for other days. But yes, there will be happy days and sad days. Yeah, like there are moments which you, uh, which keep you going and you know give you strength to continue whatever yeah. you're doing. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So when we saw that, we were all so happy for the work, the kind of work we do, and the the kind of work it makes difference that they feel comfortable coming to a treatment room and proposing. I mean, who does that, right? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Um. Like, have you ever felt? Uh, faced rejections or failures like how do you deal with failures mm, I mean of course I have failed rejections a lot of time I have failed failures a lot of time and I will say um, most of the time I don't deal with it very nicely <laughs> um, but it was until I realized that it is the way of life I mean you every single person in their life will fail and will face rejection at some point um, I have um, I have been very strong person from the beginning, but uh, my way of dealing with failures and rejections was um, to hide away, you know, not deal with people, don't talk to them, don't come in front of anybody. That was 
one day my dad came up to me. I, I actually I have a story of a failure, which I will I will share with uh, the audience um, and with you. Um, uh, I was a really good student, uh, undergraduate student. So when I completed my uh, my uh, undergraduate degree, I had really I came out with really flying colors. All my marks were good. But when you when you do radiation therapy, you actually have to write a licensing exam. It's not just you pass the undergraduate exam and you get to practice. You actually have to write the exam, and um, you have to pass the licensing, and then you actually get to practice. Mm -hmm. Now, um, I have just recently come out very openly about this because until now I was very reserved about my failures. I would never come out and talk about them. Mm -hmm. So recently, even on Instagram, I posted about it, but I, I would like to share it with you as well. So yeah. when I wrote the licensing exam, um, um, I was uh, it was a seven hour long exam. So you sit there for seven hours doing multiple choice. Imagine, mm -hmm. um, and I've never been I have never been good with multiple choice. You give me a, a short paragraph answers, and I would probably do better. Um, but I wrote the exam, and when the results came, um, I failed. I found out that I failed the licensing exam. I was devastated because that was my first huge academic failure. Mm -hmm. I've never failed any exam or anything in my life. So obviously I went into depression and I wouldn't come out of my bedroom for days. Um, so eventually my dad came up to me and he was like, well, you know, um, you wouldn't know what you're not good at until you try it. So mm -hmm. go out and try something that you feel that you might do better in. So I said, maybe, you know, maybe radiation therapy is not for me. I'll just go and do business or finance courses. And fair enough, I, I got up and I did those courses and I aced them. I did really well in finance when I don't even like finance. Mm -hmm. So my dad sat me down again and he said, like, look, you don't even like counting numbers. You're not good with finance. You're not good with business. And yet you aced those exams. So imagine what you could do with something like radiation therapy, which you are actually good at. So don't let one, one exam or one failure define how you want to shape your career. And I'm glad he sat me down and said that because... Otherwise, I would have given up physics mm -hmm. and radiation completely, altogether. And then I said, you know what, that's fine. I'll rewrite the exam. And, of course, when I rewrote the exam, I did really well because I was so determined. Um, but what that, what that moment taught me is that, you know, failures are bound to happen without, whether you want it or not. Mm -hmm. It's written in every, everyone's fate that you will fail one, one or two times at least. Um, the way you can move on is really get up um, – from that seat that you're just making hot and then do really something about it. Um, and that's what I'm going to teach my son, that it's okay to fail. It's okay mm -hmm. to fall down. But when you rise, rise like a phoenix, you know, just do it like you meant, you're meant to do it. Um, and I do believe that people are and can be good and can be taught to be good at things. Really. So if you, if somebody comes and tells you that, oh, I told you this field is not for you, don't let them diminish your light. Even if you have a slight interest in that field, go ahead and explore it. Fail at it, fail at it, fail at it. And when you feel that, okay, well, I need to move on, you decide and move on. You know, you don't need to let people decide it for you. That's what is very important. Because when I fail that exam, I know that a lot of people told me, well, you should have just not done that. You should have just probably skipped to biology and things like that that you were doing before because you were doing so great in it. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I think that was the moment where, where I learned that you can, you know, I'm going to fail. I'm going to be, I mean, in my current um, um, 
let, let, me, let me tell you another story. Mm-hmm. Um, in my cu- current posi- uh, I mean, current company, I applied in this company for, I think, two or three times, and every time that electronic system sent me an email saying, oh, unfortunately, somebody mm-hmm. else got the job, you know. And I was like, wait a minute. I mean, I've got probably everything that you need. In it. At least I need some, I need to talk to somebody about this. So I didn't stop because I wanted to really make a difference and work for that company. So I, I, I found different ways. You know, I, I didn't let that failure affect me. Um, I went and found out that they, they, they elect, uh, my current company is actually displaying um, their booth at one of the conferences, which I was presenting at. So I took the opportunity, went to the booth, and talked to the people, found out who was actually hiring for the position. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's funny enough, the person who was hiring for that position was there and I said to I, I talked to her and I said look I you know um, I applied for this position and um, um, and they said well let us interview you so they interviewed me and they were like I don't understand what happened I said your system rejected me twice <laughs> and they were like oh I didn't you know it's just funny how how the uh, sometimes the internet or like the the technology is the barrier yeah. right um, so I got an interview and she was quite impressed she said send me the resume once we go back we will have a proper interview um, and then we'll go ahead and they have offered me the job and even the better job than I had applied for initially I was selected for that so sometimes you just have to stick it out you know yeah. don't let rejections tell you or dictate what you can and you cannot do basically so there we are you deal with them as they come and not be depressed I mean I, I don't remember uh, hiding out anymore to any of my I actually speak about all my failures openly now <laughs> Yeah, and I think that's really very important, you know, to be always motivated and, you know, have that confidence. Just like in your case, you were so confident enough that, no, you could get it and you just approached it. Sometimes the fear of, you know, like we consider ourselves, no, no, maybe I am not fit enough for this, so just let it be. But sometimes you believe in yourself, like you just have to go out there and tell and no. Yeah, exactly. And that's what people call as imposter syndrome, right? I believe that they think that they're not good enough at something. And, and believe me, I have had that a lot of times. I still sometimes do have imposter syndrome, mm-hmm. where I feel that I'm not good enough to do something. Um, but then, you know, I think I'm just lucky that I have been surrounded by really good family support, people, colleagues, everybody just encouraging and doing that sort of. And not, I, I understand that not many people are that fortunate. And in that case, you have to be, you have to be determined. I think you have to let yourself out and consider the possibility that you are good enough. You know, you can do some certain things if you decide your mind on. So I think that's one thing I would like all the listeners and everybody to understand that you're always good enough until you try it. You know, you have to try it before you can determine whether you're good enough or not. <laughs> yeah. No, I can really uh, relate to your story because just as you mentioned, even I'm not good at taking multiple choice question exams. <laughs> During my master's, we have to give this uh, pre-entrance exam for uh, university right. before you take your master's. So like I had this uh, eye on one university where I just wanted to be there. And I had been doing fairly well during my bachelor's. So I thought that, yeah, maybe I'll be able to crack it. And then the results were out and I had failed miserably. I was not even shortlisted for interviews. So oh boy. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, this this does not match. You have some good grades in your uh, report cards and you're not selected yeah. for the university. 
that time, no, like as you mentioned, your family, your friends, they play a great role in your life to keep you motivated. So that time, my friends, my family came ahead and they said, it's okay, you just lost an opportunity to one up university. You are like many out there. And so I was like, okay, yeah, I should try, you know, maybe I should keep trying. And so then I applied to this another university and yeah, like I got a better deal, I believe, right now. <laughs> It yeah, you know, and that's the other thing, right? Um, sometimes things happen for a reason. Sometimes yeah. you fail at certain things because next thing that's going to happen to you is really going to be better. And I, I truly believe in that because every time yeah. I have been failed miserably or rejected for something, I have gotten a better opportunity following that. So I yeah. truly believe that it's, it's actually true. So it's a fact that, you know, something better is waiting for you. Mm-hmm. And like right now, I'm also, I was also very happy joining this university because I was like, I wouldn't have met these people or such good professors if I would have been yep. in that university. Yeah. So, <laughs> and so you recently uh, gave a TED talk and this is just awesome. You know, everyone wants to be there. Everyone wants to give a TED talk. So how was your experience? Uh, like what was your response oh. when you first heard it? Like you were invited for a TED talk. Oh yeah, I mean it was surreal. Okay, so first of all, I have to, I have a confession to make. I wasn't. I knew there was something called TED Talk, but I never never kind of indulged in it. You know what I mean? Like I never heard them. I was. I'm not a YouTube geek, or I'm not like person who sits on and watches videos for a very long time. Mm-hmm. So obviously, when when I got an invitation and I, you know, was lying on this on our dining table, my husband comes in, walks in, and he was like, "What is this?" And I said, "Oh, I've got an invitation to talk at a TED Talk." <laughs> and he and he looks at me. His jaw dropped right to the bottom of the floor. And he looks at me, and he was like, and you're so casual about it? I said, yeah, what's the big deal? I give lots of talks. And he was like, yeah, but TED Talk is not a lot of talk. It is it is the talk. So, obviously, I didn't understand the impact that it has on a lot of people. So, it, is, it was a TEDx at Durham University here. You know how the TED Talk, and then it has, like, a, a hubs everywhere across the world. So, TEDx is one, uh, TEDx Durham University was one of the hubs where I was going to give the talk. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, so I... I Honestly, I was not thrilled the way I should have been, I guess. So people actually look at me and they're like, oh my goodness, you don't even realize. But no. Um, but I was very honored. I feel honored because my husband is quite into, you know, motivational speeches and talks. So he, he listens to all of this quite quite a lot. So he knew the importance that it had. Um, so he explained to me. He sat me down and he goes like, this is a big deal. You have to think about this seriously and you need to really, really talk about this and I said okay if you say so um, so yeah so I, I was thrilled but um, I was very humble only because I didn't know the impact it would have on people really yeah. um, so yes so I took the opportunity I did the talk um, it might be available sometime soon I'm not sure because I think it has to go through a lot of the processing yeah. and um, so hopefully when it's available I will uh, I will release it to public uh, yeah, and uh, I just uh, read it that your TED Talk also centered on this, like, uh, women dropout in STEM field. So, yeah, yeah. it was only um, women in, in, in STEM fields and um, can, uh, you know, can we can we stop this leak from the pipeline? Mm-hmm. Now, I, I don't like to call it as a leaky pipeline. I think we should stop calling it in general, 
but it is a term that is currently being used, and that's why I used it in in, in there. And it, it centers around my journey as mm-hmm. a person who who has been constantly, um, you know, constantly leaking out of the system and trying to get back in, trying to get mm-hmm. back in. So, I mean, currently when people see my, my background, they're like, oh, yeah, you've got undergraduate in radiation sciences, master's in medical physics, and now you're in PhD. But what people don't see is to, to get to those points, I, it wasn't an easy journey. There were a lot of stereotypes involved. There were a lot of things that were involved um, to shape my journey so far and how hard it has been for me to get back into all of the game every now and then. Um, and it's not just me. I think it's, it's a story of every woman. And that's what I have shared in the TED Talk um, through my journey. And how we, how actually we can stop that leak? Yeah, and I think we should come up with a better better name for that leaky pipeline, I guess. <laughs> and also, like there is this gender uh, disparity in STEM. You know, women either they don't opt for this because it's a long course of study, or they just yeah. drop out. Because I remember in bachelors, half of my uh, classmates they just dropped out of BSc, or they just mm. continued for the sake of you know just take this education and then because we have to get married and all that. So. Yeah. Yeah. I think that notion is everywhere, though. I think it's not just in India. I think everybody thinks somehow that the main goal of a woman's life is to get married and have yeah. children. It's hilarious. It's like, why is that, uh, you know, why is that a thing in the 21st century where we are now talking about technological advances, where we have brains coming out from everywhere? Um, and I think that's the problem. I think it's the, so, so my TED talk, when I did, TEDx talk, I did, um, I started off with the stereotypes. I started off with saying that we have to understand that even men are actually affected by stereotypes. Mm-hmm. It's not just women. Because sometimes if a, if a man likes to cook, um, people can say, oh, well, why are you being such a girl? Why do you want to be in the yeah. kitchen? Why cannot they cook? Why, who decided that cooking is a woman's job and men cannot enjoy it? So, or if they take biology, for example, a lot of people get actually attacked of it, and, and men especially, and they say, well, biology is a female field. Don't take biology. Take math or technology or things like that. So we have to understand that these stereotypes affect both genders. Um, but when you look at the history or when you look at the current, um, even the current um, like a simple, I started with an advertisement where it was a very, very um, uh, stereotypical depiction of a female at the feet of the man um, mm-hmm. trying to clean his shoe or things. That's how the advertisements were in, in, in old days. So those are the things that actually show up. You know, it's not, you can never see the advertisements the other way around where women are shown more dominating than mm-hmm. men, for example. And I'm, I'm taking an example of advertisements, but it's in every other field, right? So I think that is the reason why we need to talk about this as an issue um, where where women are uh, affected quite differently than men do. I'm not saying men are not affected. I'm just saying um, the women have to currently take a lot more fall than compared to exactly. 
Yeah, because if I if I if I have a child, I'm the one who has to stay home, mm-hmm. right? I have to breastfeed my child because my husband cannot breastfeed, of course. There is a biological problem. So and I can't blame men for that because that's how just the nature has built us. But they have to understand that this can actually affect their women growing, you know, uh, uh, doing something for themselves. So there has to be a leeway. There has to be other ways we can support them to bring them up. So that's what my point was at getting uh, doing this talk, basically. And I think like it is really very important to talk about this, and like this is the main reason what uh, motivated us to start this podcast. Because right Thank now you. I've uh, completed my masters and I'm like applying for my PhD. So I see uh, people coming up to me and they're like, oh, I've chosen this uh, field and it's it will take so long. And now you already have five years into masters and now you're planning of PhD. So like when you'll get married, you're already uh, like 23 and I'm like just I'm just 23 and why can't I work and study? I'm 28 like any other guy. So I mean, Shweta, here is something I'm going to do. I am 35 years old today. I'm really old now, right? If I was your age and the things that you are doing right now, I would say you have already nailed it, girl. You're doing incredible. Like, even to think about starting this kind of podcast and reaching out to people in this way is an achievement in itself. And I, there's one advice if I have to give you, I will tell you. Turn the blind eye to people who don't understand your motives, whether it's your family, whether it's your colleagues, whether it's your friends, whether it's the general society. Because right now, we need people like who, you who can think beyond. I'm not saying to be disrespectful. What I am yeah. saying is to make, make them understand why this matters to you. Now, I will give you an example. When I moved to UK from Canada, um, uh, for this job, I, I sat down with my parents and I said, Look, because you know, in, in the Indian culture, girls don't walk out of the house yeah, until they're married. Too, yeah. So, so when I got uh, when I got this job, I said to my parents that I want to move. I've never been anywhere else other than home mm-hmm. all my life with my parents. So when I said this, obviously my mom was a bit upset, and she was like, "Why do you you know you can go anywhere here? Like stay close to us, but why do you want to go across the ocean?" Mm-hmm. And I said, "Because this is a lifetime opportunity." My dad understood, but he didn't say anything. So I let it go. You know, I let it go, and I, I didn't kind of talk. But I kept on. Uh, because I didn't want to, like, you know, produce a gap between me and my parents over this job. It was important to me, but I didn't want to lose my support system. So I, over the next month or so, I, I developed a plan. I, I said, look, this is what I'm going to do. I am going to go and do this job, and if I don't like it, I will come back. I will take a flight and be home right away. You know, it's not that I'm going anywhere away. It's, it's right here. I'm the next next door, basically. It will be like I'm next door. So it took me a while to convince them, but they saw that I was very persistent, and yet I was respectful. I was not trying to say, well, you don't understand me. You don't. And this is what current teenage people do. They just discard their parents. They don't understand that they need that kind of support. You know, no matter how your parents' thinking is, maybe you are a rebel. You need to show it to them and say, well, I will do this with your blessing. You know, this is what current um, generation needs to understand, that you still need that support system. There are some people who will just walk away and then, you know, and that's fine. It's their choice that can happen. But you do need that life support. You do need to be respectful to people that are around you. Um, 
but don't lose the sight of what you need to do because eventually you will if you just give in everything uh, it will suffocate you will suffocate honestly yeah. so i'm speaking all of these from experience right and it took me a while to get out of my um, that little shell but now i am out and i'm glad that i am out uh, and i show it to people that this is the thing that i'm passionate about and believe me when you show it in a positive way support automatically comes yeah it this means a lot coming from you <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I I hope it helps um, helps you. But yes, yeah, for you, for what you have achieved uh, now, I really hope that people who talk about all of these things to you that five years and when are you going to get married, they realize that you've achieved a lot. Um, when when and you're already doing all of this, so don't lose sight. Let them talk. Let's just yeah. say that. No, and this is what is really important because. Uh, like i have seen my friends you know into that pressure like family is pressurizing me to get married i had a friend of mine who uh, like after she was with me for masters in microbiology and during masters oh. she suddenly realized like hey shweta i don't want to do a phd or i just don't want to continue masters i want to go for mba and i was like cool oh. can go, go you can join mba and you can do it right you have uh, like yeah. options like pharmaceutical or biotechnological industries where you can pursue mba in that area so she was like yeah, yeah but then like after finishing my masters i really have to immediately clear the mba and exam and start for my mba studies and i was like why how can you do it immediately because we we have no idea how will be the exam you have no idea yeah. the, about the mathematics that you have to know because being a biology student right from your uh, 12th standard you have no much idea in this field so she was like you know if i don't get admitted after my masters to my mba then i'll be forced to get married and i don't no. want to get married and i want to you know do my mba and then i have to think about getting married so she was under this pressure you know i really have to clear my exams as soon as i can so that you know i get into mba and then i will not be pressurized by my parents to get married and you know i will be able mm. to continue my mba studies I and mean, this is so unfortunate right mm-hmm. like that the girls have to think this way i mean how many boys i mean i'm not comparing here but imagine how many boys have to think that way right yes. so um this is another another thing that really gets to me how how do we how do we change this how do we change people's concepts about yes. letting letting this generation the new generation choose what they want to because honestly getting married at 23 does not matter whether you're married at yes. 23 or 24 or 35 believe me I got married when I was 27 or 28 I can't even remember but um but I have I have everything I have a, a nice loving husband I have a child I have career I have you know I managed to get it all you know I managed but it wasn't about hardships but the point is you will eventually have what you are meant to have so mm-hmm. maybe I, I think it's really, longer but you will eventually get it exactly exactly i really feel for your friend though that they have to go through this pressurized i mean mm-hmm. i had to go i had a pressure too from my my you know extended family or mm-hmm. you, you know get married get married check it's okay i think i was the only person or the girl in or the whole cousins and everything that got married that really honestly and mm-hmm. it was married by 2324 yeah. <laughs> or even younger <laughs> I was like no well, let me finish this first so i finished my masters and then i got married yeah it's it's really very important you know to have people who are talking about it your family supporting it and some friends you know group bunch of good people who will always keep you motivated yeah absolutely very important 
So, like, uh, Sonal, you have traveled and worked in different countries, you know, like, as you said, in Canada and UK. So, have you seen similar situations there or, like, it's different there? No. I, like I mentioned before, I think this is, um, this phenomenon has happened for ages um, and it has happened across the globe. Um, some countries have intense feelings about this and the other countries don't, but it has, it has been prevalent everywhere. So um, this kind of notion that the girls to, will be happy when they get married and they have kids is actually prevalent everywhere. It's not just in one, one country. Um, I can tell you that much. Um, although I do feel like people do have a little bit more motivation and um, and freedom in elsewhere um, than they would probably have in Asia Pacific countries. But um, again, I could be wrong. It could be cultural thing. I'm not sure. Um, but that's something that needs to be studied, right? Like that, that needs to be understood why it is prevalent in more in one more in some countries than the other countries. Um, but yeah, but there may be other kind of stereotypes that I I was exposed to. For example, I was exposed to racism quite a lot, mm-hmm. um, and I was exposed to um, you know being I, I have dealt with um, um, a different kind. I'll give you an example. When I mm-hmm. when I was doing my radiation therapy internship, um, it was my first week, and. Um, as in center, and then uh, I was put on a unit, treatment unit, where I had to follow around the radiation therapist to observe what they're doing, how they're doing, and they introduced us to the daily activities and things like that, right? So it was my first day, and I was following this this, um, this lady, and um, uh, we had a patient, and the patient was Muslim, uh, Muslim patient. So she requ- the other partner of my of the therapist that was working was male. So you know this is also a male male field as well. So pe- it could be male or female therapist you can get. But the lady requested if it could be a female therapist who comes and positions her. Mm-hmm. It was a fair, fair request, right? I mean, yeah. it wasn't anything to do with culture. I think it was something to do with being a woman. Some mm-hmm. women are comfortable because she, she was being treated to a breast cancer. She didn't want to expose her body to somebody mm-hmm. else, and that was fair. So she requested. She, didn't, she wasn't an adamant. She just said, can we have female therapist, please? So as we were walking outside the door, this therapist, she, she looked at me and she, she said to me directly looking in my eyes, I don't understand you Muslim people. You are okay to be seen by the male doctor, but when it comes to the therapist, you are not comfortable with the male therapist. Mm-hmm. And my jaw dropped. And I, in my head, I'm saying, first of all, I'm not Muslim. Mm-hmm. And second of all, if I was Muslim, I would be totally offended by that that statement mm-hmm. there. So it was my, you know, that kind of exposure. So I felt really sorry for this therapist, thinking that she could say something like this so easily. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, these kind, of, you know, and I was offended for people who are Muslim because it's not about being Muslim or not. Mm-hmm. It's about it's about your personal respect. It's about your personal choice. I think that's what she missed the point. And I think these kind of um, occurrences happened quite a lot during, you know, um, my entire uh, career, my entire education. There was like these several things that kept on happening to me um, that kept on, and I kept on thinking, well, oh my God, should I even be here? You know, should I even do this? Because nobody likes me. I think I'm not good enough for doing this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. 
um, but then you just have to push through. Through. So those are the other things that I had to deal with rather than just being, um, well, oh yeah, and there was another incident where one of the therapists said to me, um, because I questioned her, you know, her activity, she didn't like it that I questioned what she was doing, and she said to me, well, you're not even supposed to be here. Go make some curry. Oh. As if I'm, because I'm Indian, I'm, I'm supposed to make curries. Honestly, I'm not even, I wasn't even good at making curries at that end, but I did learn the damn curry thing. I nailed it because I wanted to show her that I could do both. I could, yeah. do, I could do radiation therapy and I could make curries excellently. But my point is, I mean, stereotypes come in different shapes and sizes and across the globe, they will, you will be affected whether you want it or not, whether you realize it or not, basically. So, yes. So you're a um, mother to a 15-month baby. How so? How do you manage your uh, work and your personal life? Um, yeah, I mean, I was about to. When I get this question asked, I always, I went to my husband and I said, "Do you ever get this question that you're mm-hmm. to fifty? Well, my son is 19 months now, but I, and he goes like, "No, I don't ever." I said, "Then why do I get this?" <laughs> and then he goes like, he looked at me and he smiled, but he knew the answer. But the problem is, it's it's a hard reality, right? Because mm-hmm. and you cannot escape this reality, or you yeah. cannot escape this question, honestly. Um, I am sad that we as women do get asked, how do you manage your family or your child and your work and the other things that you do? Um, And it makes me angry, but I have accepted the fact that this comes out of um, ignorance, but it is in a good of heart because they know that we women have to actually deal with these things. And that's why it's important to talk about how we do it. Now, honestly, there are days that I cannot manage anything. I am like a disaster. I'm a mess. Um, and I feel like I'm a horrible mother because I haven't been paying attention to my child when he needs it because I have a meeting, important meeting to attend, or I have a huge document that I need to finish for a deadline, and my child is just, you know, it's seeking attention, but I don't give it to him. Um, so I do feel sometimes guilty that, you know, maybe, maybe why am I doing this? Why am I doing this when... I should be concentrating on something else. So, yes, I do have terrible days, and most of the days are terrible, honestly. Um, But uh, the thing is, like I mentioned, I do have a really good family support. They always encourage me, and they say, well, you have to show it. You have to be able to show it to your child that you can manage everything. Um, And there will be good days, and there will be bad days. But they need to see it, that, you know, it's okay to have good days, and it's okay to have bad days. So, um, I mean, it's hard. Uh, like I said, it's sometimes, you know, I recently went away for work for three days, and that was my first time leaving my my 18, 19-month-old son at home, um, uh, you know, when I'm not around. So he was well taken care of by his nanny and his father. But, you know, it, it was my mom's guilt. I, I kept on failing, and I kept on feeling that, oh, my God, I'm not sure if I should be even doing this. What are people going to think that, oh, my God, you left your son? Um, or what, what is he going to think that, how could my mom leave me? You know, things like that. Um, so I went to work. I went away to another city. Um, I did a Skype session with the, he was actually at his nanny's home. So I did a Skype session and he looked at the phone and he came, Mama, Mama. He looked at the phone, came running to the phone and it just made me cry. But, but the next second he stood up for 
got on the phone, walked away, and started playing with the uh, with, his, uh, with the nanny's boys. Mm-hmm. And I was like, damn it! I mean, I'm here struggling to find a way to cope with this <laughs> separation, but my child is so happy. And you know, in that moment, I knew that it was okay to feel that way, but also it was okay that you are able. You know, it's okay that you love what you do, uh, because eventually, when a child grows up, he will see a strong and confident person in you. And that's how I might my, my I want my son to grow up too, that he he should be able to manage, he should be able to do things that he wants to. And somebody said somewhere that you know you cannot have everything at once. You can have everything, but not at all at once, basically. So it's okay. I think I'm I get by pretty pretty much fine as any other mother would on the earth. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure when your son grows up, he'd be really very, very proud of you. <laughs> and I, I hope so too. <laughs> these things will really matter, you know, what all these people have said or like what are they yeah. saying? Because when he'll see you as a very strong, confident woman, I I'm really pretty sure he'll understand. Yeah, I I'm hoping I'm I am actually banking on it. I am going to see how my son grows up and and show it to the to people that you know it's okay that I I was able to do all of this because look my son has still grown up to be a fine gentleman. Yeah. <laughs> so I I'm counting on that. Touch wood. <laughs> Who would be a better inspiration for for him rather than his mother? Yeah, I, uh, well, I, that's very kind of you to say. <laughs> no, but this is really very important. You know, we can yeah. change things if our, you know, our parents are ready to change it, and then when we change it, the next generation will change. So change you exactly. have this attitude, so your son will grow up to see, uh, you know, a strong, motivated woman, and he'll be doing it same for his, you know, his wife, his kids, his children. Absolutely. So it's really, uh, very Absolutely. important. Like someone of us takes this step. to change things and change our way of thinking yep exactly so the things are changing subtly and slowly but they are so yeah. that's a good thing <laughs> so sonal would you like like to suggest something to our listeners who want to pursue career in radiation therapy i mean go for it that's all i'm going to say cuz there is a huge demand um in every um career in the field of radiation therapy so there are different careers there are engineers that we want there are radiation therapists there are clinical experts there are i mean yes doctors and engineers um i, I think in some of the countries is the first choice but you know you have to think beyond that the careers are not limited to being a doctor or an engineer there's so much more you can do with with um uh, with your career in in this sector so um yes please if you have any questions reach out to me i have an instagram page called talking science where i try to answer as many questions as possible as i get time uh on this on this field and in things that you need to be able to do um if you are interested in medical physics or radiation therapy do reach out to me and and you know i'll be more than happy to support and answer your questions um but yes if you are interested even slight bit go for it And if you're not sure how to do it, come and ask. Seek help. Um, there are so many resources out there that I would suggest. You know, and, and then the beauty of today's world is internet is everywhere. We didn't have that luxury when we were, you know, being being educated or being, you know. So yes, please feel free out free to reach out to people. And nowadays, any person is quite personable. You can talk to them, reach out to them, and ask yeah. for help uh, or guidance, basically. Yeah. So Sonal I have a few questions listed here 
and we must mm-hmm. admit that uh, we have stalked you on sto- social media <laughs> so no, you have <laughs> <laughs> so this is just a fun round okay uh, usually uh, my co-host amit uh, does this and so, since he's not around here i'll take it no problem uh, okay so like science fiction or non fiction um <laughs> non fiction okay if not a, a radiation therapist then what um i would be a painter oh uh <laughs> like you have this uh, private uh, flying license like plane license so uh, i do yeah so flying a plane or skydiving uh flying a plane anytime <laughs> it's really great you know a radiation therapy having a private <laughs> flying license <laughs> you're just in multi talented scotland or india um oh my god this is a tough, <laughs> tough one um can i can i say um my entire life india but when i retire scotland Yeah, of course. Yeah, <laughs> we, we read it on your social media account that uh, you, you know you love Scotland and you just want to go oh, there. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> so, uh, are you into binge watching Netflix? I am. I am a binge watcher. How did you know? <laughs> <laughs> like I'm not mostly now. <laughs> so, which series you like? You know, which series you follow? Oh um okay well I've binge watched several the recent mm-hmm. one that I am actually watching now uh, is absolutely amazing it's salvation I'm hooked on to it mm-hmm. um so it's about a it's a obviously science fiction but not so much uh, mm-hmm. because it deals with the asteroid that's coming towards earth and uh, it, the impact that it will have will be extinction level so how the scientists and uh, NASA and government come across together um to kind of you know deal with that kind of situation so mm-hmm. it, it's a quite intriguing story but currently that's my favorite because that's what i'm watching but there are other things i like to watch like i before this i watched sabrina um that's the, a good one <laughs> yeah the chilling tales of the witch yeah. um and i i enjoyed it i mean i went to all kind of um, um all genres basically I, i enjoy anything that's entertaining fictitious non-fictitious everything so yeah and this next question is not definitely my question <laughs> amit has told me to ask you since we have a radiologist with us and uh, so the question is if you get a chance to make a female hulk or a female deadpool what would it be if you have a chance since like deadpool is also one a uh, character you know who goes gets power because he's exposed to radiations Yeah, yeah. Hulk is also exposed to gamma radiations and he, you know, turns into a Hulk. So, uh, yeah. if you have a opportunity where you can use a female and you can turn her into a Hulk or a Deadpool. Yeah. So, uh, which one would you prefer? Oh, uh, so either or, yeah. yeah. I think um I think Deadpool was hilarious, but Hulk <laughs> has uh, a character. Yeah. Oh, this is a tricky one because I I enjoy both. Um, hang on, let's see what it would it be. Really, I think it would. I would go with. Um, um, I, I think I'm gonna have to choose Hulk. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a bit biased, but yes. <laughs> is it really possible? <laughs> Uh yeah, why not? I mean, why can't this makes me even more uh, determined to choose Hulk because you're doubting whether it's possible or not, right? Mm-hmm. So then let's make it possible. Let's do Hulk. 
I'm sure it will be possible. Why not? Yeah. So I hope Amit gets his answer. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so too. I hope he's not disappointed. I know. <laughs> okay. So on that fun note, Sonal, I had a great time with you. When I first oh, I read a, when I first read about you, I was really amazed. How can a person be doing so many things, you know? And uh, there is usually this image of a scientist, you know, who is all into his work. But I'm sure after listening to you, everyone will know that this is not the case, and you're doing amazing as a radiation therapist and living your life, which is commendable. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for giving this opportunity to me to talk, and you know, so much um, coming. Yes, and you're truly an inspiration. I am inspired and motivated, and so will the yes. listeners. This is well, thank you to start the podcast, you know, to inspire people so that they can have a role model which we didn't have, you know, like they have someone to look up to, someone whom they can ask for help, whom who can guide them. So and yeah. also they will be opened up to you know different opportunities because I'm pretty yeah. sure like many of us really don't know like there is something called as radiation therapist and you can pursue career in that. So I hope talking yeah, to you they will be opened up to this uh, you know field. And absolutely, I mean. Yeah, and I think you touched upon a really important point here about having role models because you're mm-hmm. right. We didn't have growing up. I didn't know who to look up to. So the person I really looked up to, I don't know if you've seen X Files um, TV series, but uh, Agent Dana Scully was one of my. She is a fiction, but okay. she was a really inspiring role model to me uh-huh. because I didn't have any real life role models really. So I think that's what we need to do. We need to come together and create these. Um, uh, you know, not create, but show people. that there are actually people doing these things mm-hmm. and when they see it they feel that they can do it so yes i think it's a very important to have role models yeah. in life and like we'll be only able to achieve this if we come together you know individually you really can't get it there we all have no, to come absolutely. together create a platform and then we'll be able to do it for the future generation absolutely absolutely agreed thank you so much for joining us and uh, what a great way to start our podcast <laughs> Thank you, Shreya and Amit. Uh, hopefully, you guys have a good rest of the week. Yeah. So, uh, guys, if you have any questions, you can reach out to me or Sonal on social media. We'd be really happy to help you. The links are in the show notes. Uh, we are also on Patreon. So, if you like our episode with of science with Shreya, please make an effort and contribute to us. Thank you. Thank you so much, Sonal, for joining us. My pleasure. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. Now, here's a word from our gifting partner, the SoulStore.com. The SoulStore has incredibly cool collection of t-shirts, hoodies, and boxers for men and women of your favorite superheroes, films, cartoons, and many more. They have really cool collection of accessories like backpacks, badges, mobile covers, mugs, and notebooks. Check the SoulStore.com today. You're definitely going to love it. And don't forget to use our code to get discount on your shopping. The codes are available in the description.